Matthew 15, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles your father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father or mother. So for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the disciples were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The word of the Lord. A couple of years ago, I was uh, taking a bunch of third, first through third graders on a little field trip to the outdoor campus here in Sioux Falls, the bus driver, and took them to the outdoor campus. And as we got to the outdoor campus, well, there was one of the people that works at the outdoor campus. We'll call them Little Ranger. So the Little Ranger met us there at the outdoor campus, and we were going for a tour of the rock garden thing. So we arrived, and uh, we arrived, and the Little Ranger begins to give us a bunch of rules as we walk in. And these rules seem to go on for quite a while thing. And it was pretty constant. Don't touch this. Don't touch this. Walk here. Don't walk, walk there. And I'm thinking to myself in the back going, we're at a rock garden. What's going to happen if a first grader touches the rock thing? Well, the rules went on and I'm thinking, oh man, this is, this is not going to go well. This ranger thing is not going to have a good day because I know these first through third graders thing. They're going to be touching every rock and doing whatever. So I thought, I'm going to institute another rule That'd be a little simpler for everyone to follow, and I think will keep us in good standing with Little Ranger. So I said to him, I said, everybody just grab the hand of, of the person in front of you. And I said, do not let go of their hand. Because if they're holding the hand of the person in front of them, what can, they can't touch the rocks. Thing, unless they take both hands over there. So I instituted the new rule so that we could follow the Ranger's rule. It worked marvelously. Thing. Well, as well as you could expect for first or third graders. But what would end up happening there was you walk in and all you hear is, no, no, don't, don't, don't. Sometimes this is the perception of the church as a whole. This is the perception that we have is that when we encounter Jesus, we're just going to receive a nice little checklist. Don't do this, don't do that, don't go there. And it's, and it's actually a nice system, right? Sometimes it's actually nice to receive that little checklist you know exactly what, what to do. I know I've said this at home a couple of times in the midst of some, not that I've ever been angry or difficult situations with my wife, but in the midst of situations I know I've saw in my own mind, well, if you just tell me exactly 
what you want. It would go perfectly. Because sometimes it's nice, right, to have that little list, and you just work right through it, and you get to the end of the list, and what? Hey, the list is done. Thanks. Don't bother me about how I did the list or how long. The list is done. It's nice to have a list. We like lists because it gives us confidence when we can cross things off the list. Well, that's a really a religious mindset that do this to get that. Complete this set of exercises to get to this place. And as we interact with Jesus this morning from Matthew chapter 15, we're seeing Jesus really interact in a religious situation where that was the mindset. The mindset was really one of do this, don't do that. That puts you in good standing with God. You see, the religious situation that Jesus kind of entered into was they had set up basically all of their traditions and they had set up all of their ways in which people were supposed to specifically follow to kind of maintain good standing with the Jewish people, with the temple. But now you have this man Jesus coming along. And Jesus is getting up some momentum, picking up some followers, and now the followers of Jesus aren't participating in all of these traditions. They're not following all of these rules of the elders. And yet, they're following this one called the Messiah. So how is it that shouldn't they be participating in the traditions? And then this brings us really to the, the conflict that Jesus has this time, but also multiple other times. Jesus has a conflict with the religious leaders. So the religious leaders ask Jesus, well, Jesus, hey, your disciples aren't following the tradition of the elders here. Now, you have to understand, the elders, these are, well, these are good not good people in the sense of they know God's law. They, they probably had a lot of the Old Testament memorized from the schooling that they went through. And it wasn't just this set of elders, but it was a set of elders for numerous years between the last prophecy and the arrival of the Messiah. Those who kind of directed the temple area, they weren't just picking people off the street and saying, hey, come in and set up some rules for the temple area. These were what you'd call respected citizens. And so they had set these things up. And so the religious leaders are like, hey, they're not following the leader's interpretation or the leader's guidance. What's, what, they have to. How are you possibly in good state, not in good state of God if they're not going to follow? Well, Jesus then lays out, hey, you've set up all of these things. In the process of setting up all of these things, you've what? Lost God himself. And it's in a very simple sense of what God, Jesus is saying here. He said, hey, you've got all these rules. Everybody's following them, but what? It's all in vain. You see, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah here. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. In other words, Jesus is saying, Hey, everything you're doing, useless. Useless. You're disconnected from the God himself. So Jesus is interacting with people that have swung to the religious side of, of building this system that says we can basically get to God through doing X, Y, and Z. And then to make it one step easier, what they did, the tradition of the elders, to make this extremely simple, basically what that is, they had taken the law of God. So for example, there was purity laws in the law of God. The tradition of elders then said, well, hey, let's, let's protect the law of God a little bit. So then they built up some other walls to make it really almost impossible to break the law of God. So they added in like the washing of your, of your hands thing. They added in this extra set of rules to help protect the law of God. So they kept adding more and more stuff to try and protect the, the center mind, the center law of God. But in the process of doing that, they lost God himself. And then Jesus even uses an example here. They set up one tradition 
that went against the law of God. So if you read here in Matthew chapter 15, 4 through 6, it's a comp complicated law that Jesus is quoting here, but he's talking about the commandment. He says, God commanded, honor your father and mother. So he gives that commandment. But then he says in verse 5, he says, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. What they're talking about here is this system that was set in place where someone could, in a sense, make a claim that, hey, everything here is dedicated for the purposes of God. And when someone made that claim on their possessions or their property, what it did is it freed them then from having to care for their parents. So, so here you kind of have a system that you're doing something good by setting apart all you have for God to use, but yet in the process what it did is it freed you from having to care for your parents, which is what? One of the commandments. It's actually the first commandment that came with a blessing or came with a promise attached. And what do they do? They basically nullify it by one of the traditions that they set up. So, so the people had entered into all of these traditions, all of these ways, but in the midst of that, they had completely lost the God that they were seeking to follow after. And, and, and today we are called by Jesus to follow, to be an apprentice. Jesus is not calling us to a new religious system. Jesus is not calling us to enter in and go through meaningless activity to receive his honor, to receive his blessing, to get in good standing. We've already been put in good standing with God. And so what we see today is that Jesus is calling us to follow with a heart that adores God. Jesus is calling us to follow with a heart that adores God, not just go through some motions, not just go through some religious activity. And there's danger for you and I today as well, that we would go through the motions. And there's nothing wrong with motions, or another word for motions is traditions. There's nothing wrong with tradition. The problem is when tradition becomes the end in and of itself. The question for us this morning is this. What if we stopped going through the motions for religious activity, and rather the motions flowed from a transformed heart? What if we stopped going through the motions for religious activity and our motions flowed from a transformed heart? You see, we should have religious activity, but that religious activity should flow from a transformed heart. There's a lot of traditions that we have. And I just want to talk about a couple this morning because I always try and apply what we're talking about with the scripture to a situation that we're in as a congregation or as, as people. And again, I'm not, I don't want to make anyone feel bad this morning that the traditions I'm talking about are bad. They're not bad. There's just dangers. And I want to talk about the way we can swing off the path. One of the things we're dealing with right now as a church is we're dealing with the budget issue moving into the next year. How are we going to spend our money? How are we going to allocate priorities? One of the things that we've done as a church, we've been in existence for three years, one thing that we've done since we started was we took 10% of our giving and we allocated that towards benevolence or missions, which is an absolutely fabulous thing, an absolute great thing. Say we're going to take 10% of all of our giving and we're going to make sure it goes towards missions or it goes towards something outside of King of Glory. Absolutely fabulous thing. The challenge can come when we take that and say, hey, this is non-negotiable, this is a command of God. Because nowhere in the Bible can you find a place where it says the church should tithe. Actually, if you really dug into this in an extremely detailed, legalistic way, you end up at the conclusion saying, well, it doesn't really make any sense. Why should the church tithe? You tithe to the church. 
thing. And then the church is, is God's people that allocates God's resources. So again, it's a great thing. We have to understand why do we do it. We do it for really two reasons. First reason we do it, we want the church budget to be a model for us as families and individuals. So we believe that God's word teaches that there, we should be first fruits givers, which means that right off the top of our income, we should give first and foremost to God. That God should receive right off the top, hey, right here, this is what you get, God, before I even work out what we get as a family. Here's what you get, God, because God, you gave us everything. So we want to set a model for individuals and families as a church. So that's why we set that up. Second reason we do it is because then it mandates that it keeps us a structure to supporting missions outside of our walls. Because one of the temptations as a church is what? Well, let's, we got to take care of ourselves in the process. We can sometimes lose sight of the greater picture that we're part of something much bigger than just ourselves. And so it provides a nice structured, um, almost accountability to make sure we're supporting missions. So it's an absolutely <coughs> fabulous thing. We're setting up a model for us as individuals and families. We're, we're assuring that we're giving to missions. It's a fabulous thing. However, it could become a dangerous thing if we say, hey, this cannot be touched. Because then what we're saying is we're elevating it to a point of God's commands. Then you'd have to say, well, any church that's not doing this is against the will of God. There's a lot of churches not doing this. And so we need to just always be open to negotiating on anything that's not a direct command of God. You see how this could be an issue? All of a sudden, now what do we do? We walk around with a badge of pride. Hey, yep, we always give, we give 10% of our church thing. It's great thing. And we kind of hold that out there as a, as a piece of honor when really Galatians tells us to only boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. So again, not a bad thing at all. Absolutely fabulous thing. I'm trying to use an illustration. It can sometimes become what? It can sometimes become elevated to a position it shouldn't be elevated to. Another example, right now we're doing kids' worship on Sunday mornings rather than Sunday school. The Bible's pretty clear. Multiple different times it says, proclaim the greatness of God to the coming generations, or, or make disciples of your children. It makes that general command. It's very clear that we're supposed to raise our children in the faith. Outside of that, the Bible does not give a lot of direction. So there's not really any direction in the Bible that says hey, every Sunday morning you have Sunday school at 9.15 a.m. There's nothing, basically. But current time, we've chosen kids' worship as a tool for educating the next generation. At some point, maybe we say, hey, you know what? We need a different tool. We need to have a Sunday education thing instead of kids' worship. Okay, let's do that if it's in the best interest of the congregation as a whole. But the moment is, hold on here. We got to have kids worship thing. We're, we've always done kids worship. We've always done it that way. But what have we done? Now we've stuck something what in the command of God. It's simply a preference item. But these preference items can very quickly become that which we identify with, that which we get our confidence from, that where we get our strength. We got to be careful not to allow traditions traditions to become the driver of all that we do. But rather, let's build traditions out of the outflow of a transformed heart. So maybe we can set up some traditions, some processes that would be healthy, that we know form us. That's where tradition is healthy. C.S. Lewis and Martin Luther, two of the greatest minds that ever lived, I would argue, both argued heavily for tradition. And the reason they argued heavily for tradition is they believed it formed you as a person. It formed the way you thought. It formed the way you live. And so we want to put traditions in place so that it forms us to be the people of God. 
not just meaningless activity that we go through to try and get a standing with God. God is not calling us to meaningless activity, but rather he's calling us to activity that flows from a transformed heart. And it's a danger for us at home as well. This morning, again, I don't mean to say this is a bad thing at all, but a lot of us use a prayer at home called, Come Lord Jesus thing. Nothing wrong with Come Lord Jesus be our guest. Now, hear me. Nothing wrong. You can say that just fine. However, however, at the same time, there is a danger here. Think for a moment if the only prayer your child ever heard you say in 18 years in your house was, Come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Now, I'm not saying that could lead to problems. It could lead to a view of God that says, well, I can't say my personal stuff to God. I can only do X, Y, and Z. I never really saw my mom and dad pray in a way that reflected they had a relationship with God. So again, there's nothing wrong with come Lord Jesus. It's maybe a great tool to use to teach prayer and to unite families together. But yet that tool, that tradition, can very quickly become dangerous. And that it can take away the heart behind it of expressing thanks to God, expressing this desire that God's presence always be with us. Any tradition can become dangerous because it's man-made. So we need to set things up and be flexible to move as God moves, set things up that flow from a transformed heart. And this really all goes back to our view of God's law. And this morning, that's the heart of the matter, is how do we view God's law? You see, the religious leaders that Jesus is interacting with, you could describe it, that they viewed God's law as a ladder. What they saw is they saw the commandments of God. If they fulfilled the commandments of God, they just took one step closer to sainthood. They just got one step closer to a place of heaven, to to a place of honor. They saw God's law as, as a ladder. You do this and you achieve greater status. God's law was never given to us to be a ladder. God's law was never given to us to be part of an equation that we do X and Y, we get Z. We need to think of God's law not as a ladder, but rather as a mirror. God's law is actually a reflection of the heart of God. That that when we read God's law, what we're really seeing is God's putting in human form, human language, his desires for creation. Look with me if you would. We've looked at this a a lot of times. Exodus chapter 20, please. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. We've really confused the role of the law in the church because what we've done is we've built theological systems and then we've got to get like the law to fit in that system and then we're like, oh, how do we work around it and rather than just letting the Bible speak for itself. Exodus 20, verse 1. This is a famous passage. The Israelites have come out of slavery. They're about to enter the promised land, and they're given the Ten Commandments. Verse 1 and 2, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then if you go on, it just gives the Ten Commandments. Notice what it does not say. He does not say, I will be your God when you complete the following Ten Commandments. I will free you from slavery if you fulfill these commandments. He's already freed them from slavery. And they haven't even obeyed any law yet. God has chosen them. God has redeemed them. Not by any power of their own, but by his own power. And now God gives his law as a reflection of what he desires his people to to be in the world. 
And so when we look at God's law, it's not a ladder, it's not a, it's not a way to achieve something or get someplace, but rather God's law is a reflection of God's heart for creation. Now when you see God's commandment that says, do not commit adultery, what we actually see is we see a heart for faithfulness in relationships. We see a heart for purity because it benefits others. God's law is a reflection of one who is holy and pure and loving. When you see God's law that says, do not covet, what you're really seeing is a reflection that says, I want to see hearts of generosity that do not look at other people and say, I want, 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 but rather, I want to give, give, give. God's law is a reflection of God's heart. And then what we see is one step further, Jesus comes. And we see Jesus say a couple different times that he is the fulfillment of the law. What he means is that Jesus is the one who completely lived out the law in perfection. Jesus is the one person who has perfectly obeyed God's law. And so when we see the person of Jesus Christ, we see God's law lived out perfectly. Jesus is the reflection of God. Jesus shows to us the creator of the universe. Jesus reflects to us what it looks like to live out the law of God. We should not run from God's law and see it as a bad thing, but rather we should see the law as a great thing. Not something that saves us, not something that puts us in better position, but rather we see it as a reflection of God's heart for God's people. This morning, when you look at God's law, I would encourage you to look at it as a health checkup, not a checklist. So when you look at God's law, Look at it, and what it's really doing is it's telling you how your heart is. It's telling you what condition your heart is. And that's why the law is sometimes called a curb that leads us to Christ, because, because the law reveals to us that our heart is in bad condition. The law reveals to us that we are defiled people. The law reveals to us that our heart is not matched with God's heart. It reveals to us a need for a Savior. And the exact same time, it reveals to us how God desires for his people to live. What if we stopped looking at the law as a ladder and looked at it as a reflection of God's heart? And as God's people, what do we want to do? We want to reflect God's heart to the world around us. We want to take God's heart, God's will, God's desire, and put it into action right here in the world. And we look at God's law for that understanding and that reflection of what God wants us to do. Today, God is not giving us a checklist. God is not saying, hey, don't touch this, don't touch, don't touch that. God's brought us great freedom thing. And he's laid out for us a core of the law. Very pretty small actually. Pretty core law. But this, this is your home base, because this is a reflection of who I am and who I want my people to be. There is no checklist. Because Jesus has already completed the checklist. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus died the death he did not deserve. And Jesus conquered death by rising again. And when Jesus conquers death, Jesus claims us for his own. Not because of anything we have done. Not because of anything we will do. But rather he claims us because of what he has done on our behalf. And now he calls us to a life. Not of religious activity. Jesus is not calling us religious activity this morning. He's calling us to an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship is really heart formation. What are you doing in an apprenticeship? In an apprenticeship, you're becoming like the master. 
The master's trying to get you to think a certain way, try to, try to do things a certain way. And as an apprentice of Jesus, Jesus is really just trying to form our hearts. Jesus is not trying to get meaningless religious activity, but Jesus is in the people business. And when he says heart, it's really our whole being, our mind, our soul, our spirit. He's trying to form us to be people who reflect his image to the world around us. And from a transformed heart, then flows pure religion. There is going to be religious activity that flows from us. And in James chapter 1, we get a picture of this religious activity. James 1, verse 27, it says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, the religious activity that a transformed heart produces is service to the world around us. If you want to know about religious activity that's pure to God, go and visit those who no one else will visit. That's the type of religious activity God is seeking to produce through a transformed heart. And whatever traditions we set up, we need to set up that will help form us to be those type of people that will go out and visit the widow, visit the orphan, and be unstained from worldliness. Today, Jesus is calling us to be an apprentice because Jesus wants to form our hearts. For it's from our hearts that flow our actions, our thoughts, and our ways of living. Today is not a day to climb the corporate ladder. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go on the ladder. Nowhere to go. Today is not a day to climb the ladder. Rather, today is a day to look in the mirror and deal with reality. Reality that we need a Savior because we are defiled people. And the reality that God has a heart that He wants to reveal to us and He wants us to put into action as His people. Stop climbing the ladder. Don't look for your confidence in what you've done. Rather, look for your confidence in what God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus did not say, here's a checklist. Report back in when you've completed and we'll think about your standing before the Heavenly Father. Your standing with the Heavenly Father is in good shape because of what Jesus Christ has done. Let us go forth and be an apprentice of Jesus Christ, allowing him to shape our hearts. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you this morning recognizing that oftentimes, O oh Lord, we have taken our own laws, our own traditions, and Lord, we've turned them into your commandments. We ask this morning, Lord, that you would purify us of all that. Purify us of religious activity that is meaningless. And this morning, O oh Lord, we ask that you would cleanse us and renew us to reflect your image to the world around us. Thank you for your patience this morning, God. Thank you for your kindness. And Lord, we come before you, not in our own goodness or on our own activity, but we come before you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.